everyone and welcome to morning worship at Hillhead, whether we're in the hotel or on Zoom. Our service this morning will be led by our minister, Katrina, but we'll also hear from a number of others, including Janet and Roger, Katrina H, Grace and Holly. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yang Yang. And in just a moment, Nasi and Nikiar will be lighting our candle. We will share in communion as part of our service this morning. Those of us in the hotel will be invited to collect bread and wine during the hymn leading up to communion from the table at the back of the room. And those of us on Zoom will just need to remember to have something ready to eat and drink at that point. Sunday School will meet in the Kelvin Suite just across the corridor from the kibble. Just follow Bethany and Emma out at that point. Then at 7pm this evening, Brian will lead a reflection for this week of elections and that service will be on Zoom only. I'll be sending out the May edition of the church magazine this afternoon by email, so look out for that uh, arriving in your inbox. Then just one little follow-up to last Sunday's church meeting, just to confirm that as anticipated, the sale of our building completed this week. There's quite a bit of family news this week. As Barbara uh, was suggesting, it might be a good idea to set up a Hillhead branch church in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital at the moment. Uh, both Ken uh, and Jean H have been in hospital this week. And uh, Joan is going into hospital tomorrow for a hip operation, which is why she is on Zoom today, uh, just uh, isolating for a few days before uh, her op. So we'll be thinking of you, Joan, and of our other friends who are in hospital. And then Mary has given us an update on Lilius. You remember Lilius moved into the care home on Monday and Mary went with her in the Red Cross transport that took her from her flat uh, to the care home. And that was obviously a difficult uh, time for Lilius. However, when Mary popped in to see her later in the week, she found her absolutely thriving amongst the hustle and the bustle of the care home. And Mary reports that the staff are all very kind. So that's um, lovely news um, about that uh, move for Lilius. But time now uh, to go over to Nasi and to Nikia to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Come to God in prayer. We pray together. Holy God, in whom power and vulnerability, justice and mercy, grace and truth are held in perfect unity, we come to you now in worship, wonder and praise. We're all too aware of our own imperfections, the limitations that restrict our best endeavours, and the flaws that all too easily lead us to thoughts and actions we may later regret. Yet you love us and welcome us just as we are, assuring us that there is nothing we can do or fail to do that will stop you loving us. On this day, set aside for worship, we take a few moments of silence to think back over the week, now ending, noticing anything that stands out for us and offering it to you. For the things that have brought us delight and pleasure, that made us smile or gave us hope, we thank you. For the things we now regret, wish we could change but cannot, that made us sad or hurt others, we are sorry. Assured of your promise that you are trustworthy and will forgive everyone who is genuinely repentant, we are free to face the new week, released from re regret, encouraged and energised for the future. Holy God, creator, redeemer and sustainer of all, hear our prayers offered in the name of Christ. Amen. For the things that have brought us delight and pleasure, that made us smile or gave us hope, we thank you. For the things that we now regret, wish we could change but cannot, that made us sad or hurt others, we are sorry. Assured of your promise that you are trustworthy and will forgive everyone who is genuinely repentant, we are free to face the new week, released from re regret, encouraged and energised for the future. Holy God, creator, redeemer and sustainer of all, hear our prayers offered in the name of Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
I wonder if any of you watch a popular television programme where there are two teams of celebrities who take it in turns to work out whether somebody from the other team is telling the truth or a lie. Anybody? Anybody watch Would I Lie to You? A few people, that's good. That means we've got a chance of this actually working then. If there's a few people online and a few people on site who watch Would I Lie to You? We have a start. So we're going to have a short version of that this morning. We have three people who are going to say a statement. You don't get to quiz us. You don't get to tease out whether get extra clues as to whether we're lying or telling you the truth. Apart from the statement that I'm going to say, I have no idea what the other participants are going to say or whether it's true or a lie. And they don't know what I'm going to say and whether it's true or a lie. So this is my statement, and I'll, I'll say it twice because it's reasonably short. When I lived in Warrington, one of my neighbours had a cat called Taxi so that when they stood on the doorstep calling her in, they didn't feel too stupid. One of my neighbours in Warrington had a cat called Taxi so that when they stood on the doorstep calling her in, they didn't feel too stupid. So if you think that's true, can you put your hand up? If you don't think it's true, don't put your hand up. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven here. Eight, nine, ten. Okay, I think it's about 11 people think I'm telling the truth. Who thinks it's a lie? Ah, see what you hear here? That's, I think that's just about the same, probably slightly more for a lie. It's a lie. My next door neighbours had a dog called Taxi, so that when they stood on the doorstep and called her in, they didn't feel stupid. But well done those who thought it was a lie. So we're going to go to Roger next, and Roger is going to give us a statement. Okay, my statement is that I have walked the Southern Upland Way. I've walked the Southern Upland Way. So if you think that's a truth, put your hand up. Okay, and if you think it's a lie, put your hand up. Okay, so most people think that's true, Roger. No, actually, I've walked lots of other long-distance routes, but that's one I haven't yet done, and I want to do it soon. <laughs> so you spotted one lie, you didn't. We didn't spot one lie. And last, over to Grace. Okay, my statement is, once on a holiday in Sweden, after a meal out in a restaurant, we later discovered that the woman two tables away was the Queen of Sweden. Once on a meal out in Sweden... They discovered later on that the person two tables away was the Queen of Sweden. So if you think that's true, put your hand up. Okay, and if you think that might be a lie, put your hand up. So some people might know, but that's okay. Okay, Grace, was it true or a lie? A downright lie. <laughs> well, we have been in most of the people here. We have okay. been in holiday in Sweden, but we didn't see the Queen. Okay, they were happy on holiday to Sweden, but they didn't see the Queen. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because all three of us chose to tell you a lie, and all three of us succeeded in deceiving quite a lot of people. Mm, that is really interesting. Well, we'll be thinking a little bit more along those lines and some others as we go on. But we're going to sing two songs now, which follow one from each other. And we do now have some children who can leave us for Sunday school, um, probably after the first one, I think. Thanks, Paul.
reading is from 1st Samuel chapter 8 starting at verse 1. When Samuel became old he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. Next reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, a young church leader, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet, and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth.
From ancient times, human communities have organised themselves into groups, small and large, with customs and rules to enable them to function together. How that has been done and how it is done varies considerably. It includes hereditary kings, queens, czars, emperors and chiefs, self-appointed dictators, conquering armies, elected parliaments, assemblies and local councils. And where these are elected, many different systems for voting are used, including the first past the post, single transferable vote, alternative votes, some with party lists, some with individual candidates and some with combinations of these. One thing we do know is there is, there is no single God-ordained way for societies to order themselves. And we also know from what we've heard in scripture that the emerging Hebrew nation wanted a king so that they could be like other nations, rather than the somewhat ad hoc system they currently had of judges. And God warned them strongly against it. We missed out a fairly large chunk of what God told them that would mean. They decided, so God warned them against it on the basis that national leaders would make really huge demands on them. And it might not be what they wanted and it might not be what they hoped for, but they were convinced this is what we want. And so God allowed them to have their way. Now, it does seem to me to be true that for societies to operate effectively and peaceably, they do need some kind of governance some agreed set of rules and practices that everybody knows, or knows most of anyway, and knows what is expected of them. And also knows what the consequences will be if they don't conform or comply. But as people of faith and followers of Jesus, we also believe this to be true, that free will is a gift from God. A gift that brings huge responsibility and accepts the potential for selfish and sinful choices. And that in even the most carefully and prayerfully considered decisions, there is still a possibility of unwanted or unintended consequences. If we had the time to read all the way through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, we would see how the people's desire for a king worked out. Even the best and most respected kings were flawed, and many of them turned out to be anything but good. In fact, so unstable was the Hebrew nation that it split into two kingdoms, each of which went on to have its own problems. The time of Jesus' birth, and now part of the occupying Roman Empire, Herod was at best a puppet king. A king in name only, with few powers and no real authority. So maybe there's a warning. Be careful what you wish for, and be careful what you vote for, because it won't necessarily work out as you might hope. My reflections today are not party political. I have no allegiance to any Scottish or UK political party, though there are some whose values and policies I find I can more readily align with than others. And it's not my task to persuade you or to convince you on how you should vote in the upcoming local elections. Though, as I always do, I will encourage you very strongly to vote because however flawed the system is, and however limited our choices feel, in a world where so many are powerless to choose who will govern them, I think we have a real responsibility to use that freedom wisely, the best that we can. Because we're using recorded music at the moment, I looked back through my, my various services to find hymns for today and discovered that just a year ago, 
We also had a service called Faith in Politics. I must have a really bad memory. That was just ahead of the Scottish parliamentary elections. But I used it then as a statement. Today, I've used the same words phrased as a question. Faith in politics. And that's deliberately an ambiguous question, which opens up the possibility of a lot of different avenues of exploration. And we can only begin to touch any of them this morning. What I say may be familiar. You may think she said this so many times already. But my hope and prayer is it might prompt each one of us just to think a little bit more. So three reflections, relatively brief. Firstly, faith as trust and truth. The television programme, Would I Lie to You, it's great fun. It shows us how difficult it can be to determine whether somebody is telling the truth or telling a lie, especially when they're able to spin out a complicated story to mislead us. But in politics, local, national and international, there is a reasonable expectation that those who lead, whether democratically elected, born into office or appointed by a regime, will be trustworthy. It is reasonable to expect that presidents, prime ministers, first ministers will be people of integrity. And of course they're flawed, of course they make mistakes. But it's reasonable to expect that they will not willfully, deliberately and persistently mislead or lie to their colleagues or their country. Of course, sometimes mistakes get made and leaders of political parties do get caught out, sometimes even finding themselves on the wrong side of a law that they created, however fleetingly. We can't expect our leaders to be perfect, but we can expect them to have the moral fibre to admit their mistakes and to show contrition in their subsequent behaviour. If we're to have faith in politics, then we need to have faith in the people who hold the power to make and enforce the laws and guidelines that they create for the ordering of society. It goes without saying, in the last few weeks, few days even, we have seen yet more examples of lack of trust and lack of transparency amongst those elected to lead us in various places. Sometimes it's said that truth is the first casualty of war, but in the troubled world of which we're part, more than ever, we need politicians who are trustworthy and who aspire to the truth. We always get an ambulance, don't we? That's just a hillhead thing. My second heading is faith as values and beliefs. Recently, there was something of a furore when the Archbishop of Canterbury, by dint, who, by dint of his office, holds a seat in the House of Lords, had the audacity to speak out against proposals by the UK government relating to refugees and asylum seekers. He, along with the Archbishop of York, was accused of mixing religion with politics. <laughs> well, the history of why most Arch Anglican bishops are part of the House of Lords is complicated, but the mixing of religion and politics is precisely why they're there. It's part of the way that the Westminster Parliament is con constituted. And I think the bishops, along with the Lord's Temporal of other major faiths, bring an important perspective to the parliamentary process. Whatever our views on the second house that's unelected, I have a sense that in recent years, I've been very grateful for the checks and balances that they have brought to what might otherwise have been even more extreme policies. More widely, of course, in both houses of the UK Parliament, in the Scottish Parliament, the Welsh and Northern Irish Assemblies, and in local government, across all political parties, there are women and men of faith. There are Christians, Jews, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, and other faiths beyond that, all of whom seek to live out their values in the service of others, whether as local councillors, MSPs, MPs, 
or other positions. It's certainly the case that a lot of parliamentary time recently has been devoted to the Partygate scandal and questions relating not only to the attendance of a Prime Minister and other senior politicians at events that breached the Covid regulations. Not only whether he did that knowingly or, as he claims, unintentionally, not just whether he willfully misled Parliament, but about the credibility of his apology and his contrition. And it's been really interesting to see how this turn of events has led to a significant exchange of views around the Christian value of forgiveness and of repentance and of the consequences of one's actions. I have a very clear opinion on these matters, and I know what I think ought to happen next, but that's not for me to say to you. The point I think I'd like to share is that it's just been really interesting to see those who claim to have a faith speak about how that faith affects their decision-making, how they've used the Bible. I have never heard the Bible cited so much in an online setting than I have in the last couple of weeks. There's been a way you're Christians, you should forgive him. This is a Christian country, you should forgive him. But there are others who are saying, no, 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 where is the contrition? Where is the repentance? Amidst all that is worrying, and there's plenty that's worrying, I do find hope in the presence of people of peace and people of faith who continue to live out that faith and work in the public sphere of politics. My third thought is about faith informing prayer. If we were part of the Church of England, or indeed if we were part of the worldwide Anglican communion, as part of our weekly intercessions, we would pray for the Queen, who is notionally head of the Church of England, and for her government. Now, whether we would define ourselves as royalists or republicans or something else altogether, it is worth remembering that those words echo the instructions of Paul to Timothy. <coughs> Paul voting to Timothy, who was leading a church congregation under the rule of the Roman Empire, that said prayers should be made for all kings and all in high positions. So if Paul was writing today to the church in general or specifically to us at Hillhead, maybe he'd say something like this. I urge you to pray for all national leaders, elected or unelected, in the hope that you and all people may live peaceful, quiet lives in jurisdictions that are fair, just, transparent and truthful. Now that's far from a wishy-washy prayer. It actually dares to believe that God's spirit can and will change the hearts and minds of those who have the power to make decisions that will impact the lives of all people, especially the poorest and most marginalized. And more than that, it's not a passive prayer that just accepts the status quo. It's an active prayer that requires people of faith to do something. It means that bishops have to continue to speak out against injustice. It means that parliamentarians must be willing to be held to account and to call their peers to account. And it means the universal golden rule of loving one's neighbour as oneself must be upheld. For us, at this time, I think it means three things. To think carefully and pray sincerely before we vote, not simply doing what we always do or choosing the party that we've always chosen. To think hard and to pray often after we vote, actively engaging with some of the issues that matter to us, writing letters and emails, signing petitions, taking part in protests or whatever it may be and then to live out the values we aspire to in our life together as a church, 
and in our daily lives, whether that's little actions that nobody sees or getting involved in big multi-agency projects and events. Can we have faith in politics? If by that we mean trust for those who lead us, then I think that's a question that's worth asking ourselves over and over again. Can we have faith in politics? If by that we mean, should people of faith serve in public life and speak the values they hold dear, I think we not only can, but we should. Can we have faith in politics? If by that we mean, should our Christian values inform how we vote, who we vote for, and the ordinary everyday choices we make, then yes, absolutely, it must. Now here's the thing, we won't all vote the same way. We won't all like the outcome of the elections, but we can and we should continue to pray for people of all faiths and none entrusted to serve locally, nationally and internationally. And as we continue to mull over the choices we will make and their implications, we do so looking to the one who has defeated sin and death and who calls us to follow him in the ways of justice and peace. As we look ahead to the local elections in Scotland, Wales and England, and 
what seems actually like it might be a very significant election in the Northern Ireland Assembly on Thursday. Because we dare to believe that God is at work in the corridors of power, we take a moment to join together in these prayers from the Wild Goose Resource Group. Let's pray. The response to God send your spirit is renew the life of the earth. God send your spirit, renew the life of the earth. Because you God love the world, because in Christ you walked it, we dare to pray, God send your spirit, renew the life of the earth. To awaken the minds of those in power to the realities of those they govern. To confront the arrogance of the privileged with the vulnerability of the poor. God send your spirits, renew the life of the earth. To engage the fragile state of the planet with those who carelessly abuse it. To let the pain of those who are hurting awake the caring potential in all of us. God send your spirits, renew the life of the earth. To eradicate the distance between our convictions and our commitments, our potential and our performance, our prayers and our politics, our faith and our action. God send your spirit, renew the life of the earth. Convince us, gracious God, that all matter matters and that all is up for redemption. And since in Jesus you destined all to be changed and made new, enable us to be agents of your purpose. In our Hillhead family, we give thanks for the completed sale of our building. We recognise that there are many different emotional responses that we each may be having to this news, relief, sadness, joy. We bring all of these responses to God in prayer. We pray for Ken and for Jean who've been in hospital this week. We pray for Joan as she prepares to go in for a hip replacement and in her recovery. We pray for Lilius as she settles into her new home. In our wider Baptist Union of Scotland family, we, we pray for Dedridge Baptist Church in Livingston, for Deniston Baptist Church, and for Denny Baptist Church. We pray for the new BUS Mission and Evangelism Collective as they meet to pray and to plan. The BMS prayer diary this week focuses on Ukraine. And unusually, I'm just going to lift the prayer straight from the, the BMS diary this week as we join together with our Baptist siblings across the UK in these prayers for Ukraine. God, our hearts break over the situation in Ukraine that has unfolded since the end of February. We trust that you hold this tragedy in your hands and pray that however impossible it might seem that your peace would be known in the nations of Ukraine and Russia. We pray for the people of Ukraine as they grieve for their country, for loved ones lost and for the loss of their livelihoods. We pray that they would know your love to comfort and sustain them. We praise God for the generosity of all those who have donated to the BMS Ukraine Appeal. We pray that God would guide the BMS as they think how best to use these funds to reach those who are most affected by the conflict. Father, we pray for those fleeing the country, that their paths would be clear that they would find safety and rest wherever they go. 
We pray for church leaders on the ground in Ukraine and neighbouring countries, providing safe havens for refugees. That the Lord would sustain them and that people would find respite and refuge through their hard work. We pray for the leaders in Russia, Ukraine and across the world, that the Lord's love, compassion and mercy will fill their hearts and that peaceful solutions to this conflict will be reached. Finally, we pray for those who cannot leave Ukraine. We pray that they will be safe and that they especially will not lose the hope for peace. As we gather all of these prayers, the micro and the macro, we entrust that God has a plan. And we leave today to find our wee bit that we can do to bring that plan into action. Amen.
God's people are gathered, some in homes, some in a hotel, some in cathedrals, some in underground shelters, some in safety and some in danger, some in freedom and some in fear, some for the first time and some for the umpteenth time some at this time and some at other times. God's people are gathered to remember Jesus, the Nazarene prophet and preacher of long ago, the cosmic Christ beyond time and space, the defeater of death and giver of life in its fullness. God's people are gathered to eat and drink to call to mind the story that shapes their lives, to symbolise their unity in Christ and to renew their commitment to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul, writing to the believers in Corinth, wrote words which have been treasured ever since. And today we hear these in the message paraphrase. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, Remember me. What you must solemnly realise is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact your words and actions. Sorry, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. We pray. God of unity, in whom all divisions of nation, race, party politics and status become meaningless. We thank you for these simple gifts of food and drink, which have become for us a profound symbol of our own unity. Help us as we eat and as we drink to remember, to reflect, and to renew our faith in you. Amen. Let us eat together in fellowship and remembrance. And as we take the cup, we take a moment to look around in the room and on Zoom. These are our siblings in Christ. These are those with whom we share this moment and in whom God has placed trust. And so in remembrance and in hope, we drink together. In love, you created all things. By love, you redeemed all things. With love, you are making all things new. Glory to you, God of love. Amen.
May God bless us with the courage to stand up for truth, the faith to pray for justice and peace, the willingness to live out our values, and the assurance that in all things we are held safe in love. Amen.